0: Yeah, I mean this. I mean, I'm busy all the time now. I mean, it's and I love going to work. I wake up in the morning. I don't have an alarm. I wake up naturally around 6:45 or 7, and I do my thing. And I I I go to the office, and I can't wait. I mean, office slash studio. It's kind of our flood-tide office. It has my studio in it, and yeah, I mean, next thing you know, it's 5:30, and it's just the, you know, it's just crazy.
1: That was Paul Puckett from the Barely Live podcast talking about a typical morning as an artist and podcaster in the fly fishing space. This is the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. If you are new to the podcast, firstly, welcome. The first 32 episodes are focused on steelhead, and we are early on right now with Season 2 with a focus of trout fishing. Please subscribe and leave a comment if you have an idea for a Season 3. Just go to wetflyswing.com slash subscribe. In today's episode, I interview Paul Puckett, the artist behind Flood Tide Company, the Barely Live podcast, and numerous pieces of art, and some of the biggest fly fishing magazines. We talk about how Paul put together some of the really great fly fishing art over the years and how he went from living with his parents to running two uh, fly fishing businesses and two podcasts, all while drinking plenty of beer. Paul talks about the journey he is on and how Redfish fits into it in his passion, especially during flood tides. Don't miss this as uh, Paul talks about how he put together some of the first art pieces of his that included Johnny Cash and John Goodman, both holding fish. Not entirely legal at the time. Before I get into the episode today, I wanted to quickly thank our sponsors. Ascent Fly Fishing has customized fly boxes that they put together for your unique stream. These aren't just flies in a box, but they analyze the bug community in your stream a summary and provide you with the exact patterns that are in the stream when you want to fish it these guys are biologists who know their bugs and fish they have boxes for all different levels so go to ascentflyfishing.com and grab your custom fly selection today that's a s c e n t flyfishing.com the original tie right holds flies and hooks securely so you can tie your tippet on with little effort no matter what the size of the fly the original Tyrite Sr. holds hook sizes 2 up to 14, and the Tyrite Jr. holds hook sizes 14 through 24. The Tyrite can help you tie clinch knots, modify, uh, modify clinch knots, and many other knots. So head over to Tyrite.com and grab your original Tyrite today. That's T-Y-R-I-T-E dot so without further ado, here's Paul Puckett from paulpuckettart.com. How's it going, Paul?
0: Good, good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I wonder. to, you know, you just, uh, we were just chatting there just briefly and you mentioned uh, and we talked about the uh, Paul Puckett art there. Um, I was going to talk a lot about uh, the, the podcast you do and some of the other, I guess you have uh, a business going on in the fly fishing space. Um, but, uh, may, yeah, maybe before we dig into all that, maybe we can just talk about a little bit, you know, bring us back to how you got into fly fishing and how, you know, you guys started with the podcast, the barely uh, barely live sessions, right?
0: Yeah. Barely live. Uh, you know, I got into fly fishing like a lot of people, uh, it's, it's almost cliche, but, you know, I got into fishing with my granddad and then oh, cool. in Texas in Texas, he would, kind of put the the bait cast rod and reel down and for some reason at the end of the day he would always break out his his fly rod with bass poppers and i never really understood like what the difference was you know as a kid a 10 year old kid like sitting there looking at your granddad throwing swinging this thing around i'm like man that just looks like too much effort you know like what are you doing (laughs) and uh you know he told me one day he'd teach me but he never got the chance to and then so i took his rods and in high school, basically, I think I was about 15, just started using his fly rod and started getting into tying flies and just was totally consumed at it, you know. Um, between baseball and fishing growing up, that's pretty much, and art, that's pretty much what's consumed my life since then and still does.
1: Hmm. Nice. So, And where did the, yeah. and so how did all, all of the uh, Barely Live, I've listened to a few of those episodes now, and it's uh, basically kind of you and a couple of buddies chatting there, maybe you can explain to, for those who haven't listened to what, what, uh, yeah, what it's all about.
0: I mean, it, I mean, I can't give it any, uh, I can't say anything about it unless I say where I'm from, which is Dallas, Texas. And we at the office, the flood tide office daily, listen to this radio show out of Dallas, Texas called the ticket 1310, the ticket. And, it's basically a sports sports show. And uh, Will Abbott, who's one of our partners in Flood Tide, and we just sit there and listen to it all day. And it's, it's a combination of sports talk, but it's also comedy. It's also all these different sports characters, fake characters. And then when you combine that with when you go fishing, anyone goes fishing and they're hanging out with three or four friends and you walk back to the truck and everyone's hanging out the truck drinking a beer, you know, Whether it's 5 o'clock in the afternoon or 9 o'clock at night, you just find yourself sharing stories and talking and, and BS. And the next thing you know, two hours later, you're like, man, where did that time go? I mean, that's basically – we were like, man, wouldn't it be awesome if you could, rec- could have recorded the last two hours? I mean, the crazy stories, the ridiculous stuff. And that's basically – that's honestly – we were like, dude, let's start recording a podcast that is literally unedited. Let's not
1: even, mm-hmm.
0: we, we, we kind of plan it. We kind of plan a few things, but the whole idea is get on a tangent, you know, and just go at it, record it. And next yeah. thing you know, that's what barely live is. Huh. And, you know, we have a few ideas of things we want to do. And in the fly fishing world, I've been in it since I was 18, working in a fly shop and all these different cast of characters that come in the store that you meet at shows or, there's always this guy or that guy, and the whole idea was to kind of co- come up and make different characters, fake people, basically for the mm-hmm. show. That's kind of that's kind of what we do. We basically entertain ourselves. Exactly. Yeah, I so, mean, that's so honestly,
1: what, yeah. <laughs> so the show is basically for you guys. You guys are just buddies out there having fun and recording it. What have you seen? I mean, do you guys look at who's watching it? Do you do you know like who's out there? Do you get feedback from people that are? I mean, there must be people listening to it, right?
0: Yeah, and we you – know, on SoundCloud, you can kind of get an idea, uh, and there probably is a better way to do it. I just don't know, honestly. But I think we average 1,800 to 2,000 listens per show. Mm-hmm. And the frustrating thing about it is since we started it two and a half years ago in the last six months, we just haven't been able to record as many. Um, so we're kind of in a downswing right now, and there's no talk of like quitting. It's just more about getting the band back together and being able to do it more often. Sure. Gotcha, gotcha. But but yeah, I mean I in the southeast it's definitely more listens than than the northwest. Yeah. But uh it's definitely, you know, spanned out there pretty well. It's fun to see that.
1: Mm-hmm. No, that's cool. And uh and you mentioned flood tide. What what um what is that business all about? And maybe you can talk a little bit about the people that are involved in, in that with you.
0: Yeah, so like I said, my buddy Will Abbott, I was living in Atlanta and I did a lot of Art shows in Charleston, and I was always coming to Charleston. And I was working at the Fish Hawk in Atlanta, and I was starting to really get into saltwater fishing, uh, red fishing in general. And um, it was starting to consume my, every thought of my life. Those redfish tails, just I couldn't stop thinking about mm-hmm. them. And I was doing some art for True Flies at the time, and did some stuff for Patagonia. And, a, and Yeti and a couple of other things, and I was like, man, I'm doing this art for all these other companies. I should just come up with a logo <laughs> and do my own thing and just see what happens. And, uh, and of course, since I was constantly obsessed with redfish, the logo ended up being a, a redfish tail. And the reason I was going to Charleston, I would always go down there for the flood tides. and uh, So I called it Flood Tide Company.
1: Oh,
0: yeah. I mean, it was just kind of something nothing too serious and yep. you know the so it, we kind of started off with the shirt of walter from big lebowski holding, oh, yeah yeah <laughs> holding a trout and then i did someone johnny cash holding a redfish and those kind of are what started the whole brand basically
1: oh cool how do you yeah when you throw johnny cash and stuff up there how do you get the do you have to get the rights and all that stuff
0: well n- you know at first it was just kind of goofing around with it i didn't have any intention of doing a whole lot with it honestly and then um there was a company that bought that art and there was obvious talk that I didn't have the rights for it. And, and they, they knew that and it kind of went downhill from there as yeah. far as John, Johnny cash, uh, foundation, or I guess estate finding out. And, sure. uh, yeah. And as flood tide, that kind of stuff we do, we've, we've kind of, Run the gamut a little bit with those few things, and have gotten some some letters from some certain companies to stop. So, oh yeah, <laughs> we, we've run the risk a few times. Sure, but uh, yeah.
1: What about what about uh? You got this John Goodman right up on your your Barely Live logo?
0: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's I mean, awesome. Yeah, so that's kind of been the foundation of you know Barely Live and Flood Tide,
1: but it's it's stretched out a lot from there. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, you guys always have in your at least a couple in some of the uh, the intros, you've got like some movies playing. Or, yeah. <laughs> it was like, yeah. is it Zoolander? What, what? What's your favorite? What's your favorite movie? <laughs>
0: um, man, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, it's
1: probably in the ballpark
0: of Big Lebowski, Raising Arizona, just yeah. all those ridiculous, silly movies. And you know, everyone everyone has those favorite kind of movies, and there's always those one liners. Yep. from those movies, and it's just funny to kind of start each show with those with those in mind yeah just to kind of basically get the mood going okay like that's what these guys are all about you know kind of set the tone exactly
1: that in uh in a couple of beers you guys what, what is what's your beverage of choice out there
0: um definitely usually beer and honestly it ends up being just cheap beer like bud light and Coors light nothing fancy yeah we're uh we're pretty simple dudes yeah i'm not saying that we don't enjoy a, a tasty more tasty beer every now and then but you know, a good Bud Light or Coors Light just gets the job
1: done for yeah. three hours of recording. Exactly. Yeah, no, We. Uh, I definitely enjoy a nice IPA, but the problem with that is you can't drink too many of those. Otherwise, you're going to feel a little sick. Yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly. And we usually start recording at like 3 in the afternoon, come home at 7 o'clock, hammering on IPAs would nice. really no. do great for yeah. the wife usually. It would be,
1: <laughs> right. What, what's the, uh, so so you mentioned Redfish, what's your, um, I mean, if you had to say kind of your home uh waters and kind of the species you, you fish for most
0: yeah definitely redfish um there's a chance here in charleston there's seasonal opportunities for like jacks which is usually june and part of july um you can get lucky and find some sheep's head every now and then now whether they'll eat is a whole other story um and then like in april may you're going to get uh, you're gonna get amberjacks. You're gonna get some cobia out in the deeper water, and then the cobia start coming in more shallow, you know, May and June, especially down in places south of Charleston. So you get some seasonal stuff, but eighty percent of it's gonna be redfish and sheep's head and those types of
1: things. hmm And right, and which right, is great. Yeah. So right now, or what? If you had to go tomorrow, what would be? What would you be heading for?
0: Redfish. Um, the only thing is, though, here we get a real small window of opportunity because the tides are so huge Mm. we get you know average of five to six foot tides so you're either wanting the low tide but when you get those big flood tides which are around the new moon and the full moon you're going to look for the high tide and that happens you know five to six days every couple weeks so Mm -hmm. i usually it's kind of like when you live out west and you're looking for a powder day yeah you know i usually kind of look forward to those flood tides and kind of pinpoint my days of fishing around those
1: gotcha cool and what what do you think is as far as getting into fish Do you have any um you know any uh secrets or tips or i mean i've never fished for them is it uh i've heard i mean it's pretty much i mean it's they're pretty amazing species right to be yeah going for what 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 do you what do you get out of them what's the most
0: they're they're kind of they're awesome fish i mean they're they're kind of they're kind of bull bulldog type fish. I mean, they, they don't really expect a whole lot out of you. They're usually pretty forgiving, but on that one day they can just be totally stubborn. I mean, just, it just <laughs> depends. Like you can throw it on their tail one day and they're going to turn around and eat it. And then the next day they, they spook when the flies in the air, oh, wow. but at the end, of, and they're really cool in the way they're so habitual. I mean, they usually, unless they get a lot of pressure, you're going to find that school of fish pretty much every day on the same spot. Uh, they don't huh. move a whole lot. They, mm-hmm. uh, tend to like their spots now after a season, like after a winter, they might not be there anymore, but yeah, typically they're going to be where you're expecting to see them. Mm. That's, what's really cool about them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they're just a great fish, man. They can be very hard. They can be like Charleston with as much pressure as it's gotten in the last few years can be like the Henry's fork. Like it can be right. the Henry's fork assault. but you know, there's a lot of places like that now with how much pressure everyone's gotten. Oh, yeah
1: yeah you just have to so, know kind of have some of the secret spots or at least know how to get away from some of the crowds, right yeah
0: exactly, and everything's kind of cyclical We're places that you know kind of sucked four or five years ago might be good again this year, yeah, you know, so cool.
1: can you explain how you uh how you catch redfish like what is the whole you know what is a day out there fishing like?
0: yeah, I mean, we usually pretty much fish three to four hour windows, I mean that's what I love about living here is on a typical fishing day, whether it's a Saturday or something, you know, if I don't I don't blow the whole day to fishing because mm. you kind of really can't. There's so much downtime in between those good times of fishing. And it's usually a three to four hour window, whether you're fishing low tide. If it's low tide at twelve, you'll get on the water around ten thirty and you'll fish till around one thirty or two. Mm. And same thing with the high tide. So You know, you're not burning the whole day being on the water all day, which is good and bad. I mean, a lot of people will come visit and we will fish for three or four hours and they're like, oh, right. What are we doing the rest of the day? I'm like, well, we're going to go drink some beer, eat some food and maybe get out for the high tide tonight. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how it works. You don't you don't fish for a consecutive eight hour day. Typically. Gotcha. Now, if you're bait fishing, you know, like the bait fishing guides can. Oh, yeah but with the fact we're trying to be visual seeing the fish there's really no way to do it otherwise right right and you
1: guys are out there and what 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 type of boat are you using typically
0: uh typically yeah pretty pretty shallow water skiffs um uh, my buddies yeah you know, anything from Hell's Bay to uh, to East Capes and our and a buddy of ours uh, the Drake brothers they've got a new boat that they're building that we we've, we've been using quite a bit too down here called Drake the Drake skiffs hmm. so Mm-hmm. it's kind of a new uh up-and-coming boat so we're, we're
1: proud for those guys nice and then and what do you have as far as uh rod uh, weight and length and stuff like that and that setup
0: yeah eight weight nine foot eight weights, pretty standard mm-hmm. uh a lot of people use nine weights as well um pretty aggressive taper fly line you want that big fly to turn over usually using pretty heavy crabs um anything from heavy crabs to shrimp but hmm. nine nine weight can handle anything
1: okay and what's yeah. a typical, uh, what's a, a pattern, a go-to pattern for you?
0: Um,
1: you know, anything from like a Merkin
0: crab that's just heavy and just a darker kind of olive or purple, uh, you know, Mad Mike's crab is a great one around here too. Hmm. Um, any, any kind of shrimp like pugliese shrimps, all that kind of stuff. And like a low tide where the water's a little clearer, mm-hmm. especially in the winter. Anything, anything kind of light brown to cream in the winter and then in the summer, pretty much heavy crab stuff.
1: And you're just, so you're out there spotting him and then you're just making long casts out to him and stripping it. And-
0: yeah. I mean, sometimes you can get, you can get within 15 feet. I've oh, been wow. waiting and I've been waiting and had a, a redfish swim five feet away from me. Jeez. Just sit there and tailing. So it just depends on the day, man. Mm-hmm. Some days you spook them with the fly line. Some days you can put a boat right on them. Hmm. So it's it's pretty cool. It's a cool fishery. It's a great fish. You know, it's similar to how they do it in Louisiana. But in Louisiana, I don't think they're really tailing a lot. Usually they just have the fish just kind of sitting there hovering, and uh, they can see them from a mile away because they're huge fish,
1: you know. Hmm.
0: Nice. So, so it's a little different here.
1: Yeah, so if somebody was coming down there and just kind of for the first time – um you know, would it be pretty easy to find a guide and go out there and find some fish, or is it? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Uh, they can send me an email; I can hook them up with. And you, you know, quite a few different options for sure. Nice, nice. Yeah, there's a lot of guides here in Charleston.
1: Oh, there are. It's a pretty, pretty popular the fly fishing. is pretty popular there.
0: Yeah, man. The last, yeah, you know, they probably said the last ten years, but the last five years, I've been here six and a half years, and I can just see how much yeah. more it's gotten. Just with me, the amount of time I've lived here. Oh, Yeah
1: so yeah
0: you know it's, just the way it goes it's a great city with a great fishery it's kind of yep. hard to beat you know
1: totally oh and it seems like that's kind of one of the things with fly fishing you know all this as it grows slowly you know that's kind of one of the the part of it right you got to deal with more people but yeah but uh it's probably better having more fly fishermen out there than than other you know non-fly fishermen right
0: yeah and you know it's probably kind of the same with the bait stuff you get a there's a great college here, College of Charleston. Oh, yeah. You got a, a lot of young kids that come from Clemson and College of Charleston that that do what I did. I went to my, I I moved to Wyoming for four years after college, and they do the same thing where they want to move here and be a guide, huh. and then they learn after three or four years that it's probably not quite what it was cracked up to be. Right. It's hard work. It's hard work. It's hard work. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, I've I've talked to a number of guides here, you know, on the show and. That's the bottom line that you hear the most about is that, you know, and I've guided a little bit too as well. I mean, it is, it's probably the hardest job I think, you know, <laughs> you could have, but some people are just yeah. cut, some people are cut out for it and they're just, they, you know, they're perfect for it. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I learned real quick that I was not.
1: Yep. Me too. Me too. <laughs> exactly. What was the, what do you think was the thing you, you disliked most about it?
0: Well, you know, I can't say I probably quite did what you did. I, you know, I moved to Wyoming, um, to work at West Bank Angler's. And in Dallas, there was a West Bank Anglers that I worked at all through college. So I just became, I came to know the owners. And so it was just a natural fit for me to move out to Wyoming when I finished school. And I was going to work in the shop for a year to kind of learn the rivers and learn the territory and learn how to row a boat. Just all those fundamentals that anyone else would, would learn their first year out there. And I became friends with a lot of the guides. I mean, working in the shop on their days off, they'd let me row the boat and take them down the river. And the more I came to know them, just the more just I learned that first of all, if you're a guide, you never get to fish. Hmm. You know, you hardly have days off. It's yep. just hard. It's just hard emotionally dealing with these people that just expect to catch a fish when they've never fly fished before. Right. And this was, you know, on the Snake River, which is one of the easier places to do that. Um, and I just, you know, I was working four days a week and having three days off and getting to fish all summer, and I just realize it just wasn't for me. I mean, I did walk-in trips, mm-hmm. you know, where I'd two days a week, I'd do walk-in trips on the snake. And, you know, I don't like people. I like dealing with people, but man, it was, like you said, it's just not an easy job.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking, so, yeah. Um, yeah, no, definitely. You're, you're totally right. But, um, I was thinking a little bit about the, uh, back to the, the podcast and your co-hosts, which you, you have two typically on there.
0: Yeah. Um, Definitely for the Barely Live show, Will Abbott, which he's one of our partners in Flood Tide, and he had to kind of make a somewhat of a career change about six months ago, which puts him not in the office as much. So that definitely led to us not taping as much because he lives about 45 minutes away. Mm. So that definitely led to us not being able to do it as often. And then Mike Benson is the other okay. um, Barely Live standard and he's here he's a nurse which he works nights so it's hard to sometimes get him in the afternoon gotcha cuz he's sleeping typically and then we got Doug Roland All right. who's the fourth guy um that sometimes can't make it sometimes can he's i wouldn't call him an alternate but he's just he's kind of a optional as far as whether he can make it or not
1: and um and that's kind of how it goes so yeah and do you have a uh, a story about any of the episodes you guys have had, or or about the guys you guys fish and um, do all that. Yeah, like Doug fishes. He used to
0: fish a lot more. He got a different job, so he doesn't fish quite as often. Um, and Mike Mike worked at the Charleston Angler for ten years here in Charleston, oh, wow. so he knows everyone. Yeah, and yeah. he he fishes a lot. And and Will's got a second kid here recently, so he he didn't get quite as a chance yeah. to fish as much. But you know, I'd say Will is the he's the wittiest and the funniest out of the whole group. I'd say <laughs> he's, he's the guy that makes the most off off air comments and just stuff that he comes up with is unbelievable.
1: Yeah. It's hard to keep track. I just was listening to a few episodes and I am like, I still don't know who's talking. You know what I mean? So I'm like, Oh, no, oh yeah. Is that? Sure. Okay. Is that Doug? Is that Will? I'm like, totally. so, so yeah, it's hard to tell. Okay. So that's, that's uh Mike is the one that the, or he's not the guide, but he worked for the shop for a while.
0: Yeah, exactly. And Mike, Mike's the loud one. He's the one that is the loudest. Will is the one that's usually making fun of someone in order to kind of poke the bear. He's yep. the one that's always the antagonist. Um Doug's the one that kind of acts like he doesn't know what's going on half the time. Like, that's the thing. A lot of people ask me, hey, how can I start a podcast like you guys do? And I say, honestly, you have to have – you have to be lucky like I do and have th- three good friends – that are all entirely different right? and are the biggest cast characters and, and just start recording. It's mm-hmm. not like we're,
1: no, yeah, it's not right. like
0: we're being, yeah, it's not like we're being characters and doing things we would normally do. Yep. I mean, that's, that's why the show is, is it's, what it is. Cool. It's, yeah.
1: It's, it's, so, uh, it's, uh, I mean, you guys are, yeah, you're just kind of being yourselves. It's, it's kind of interesting because I've kind of talked about that offline. You know, I'm pretty, so far, I've been pretty st- standard, you know, on on the, on the air as far as my interviews. Yeah, sure. And it's it's been kind of interesting because I have a, this whole other, you know, I, I'm not sitting there talking with my buddies, but uh, but when I get you know in the camp and we're on the river yeah. with the beers, you know, this uh, these these Davisms they call them come out. <laughs> and uh they're basically just those things you know whether it's a little bit of beer or something or whatever it is but you know just some random stuff and and i haven't got to that point it's almost like i haven't totally found my voice yet you know what i mean like i think you guys yeah, no, you guys I, are just totally yeah. open and i think it, it that's that's why it's cool
0: and that's that's why we like we didn't set out to do hey let's do something no one's ever no one's really done before in this whole fly fishing segment because you know everything's from instructional to interviews. And I get the most out of the interview stuff. You know, I don't really listen to the instructional stuff often, Mm -hmm. but I I definitely roll in the interview stuff and there's definitely a place for everything. And, uh, it's just been fun doing something a little different and it's been neat seeing other people doing some similar stuff and just to see how their take is on it and what they do. So it's definitely been fun.
1: Do you listen to a few other, uh, podcasts or other fly fishing type of shows?
0: Yeah, I listen to our buddies out in Florida, the, the trailer park, oh, yeah. the Taylor Park guys, yeah, yeah, Taylor to, Trash, totally. I guess is what they call it now. Yep. And then we listen to the the fish porn dudes out uh-huh. of Maine and Missouri. Okay. And I think that's kind of it in that type of sector. Yeah. Unless you got some other ideas. No,
1: no, that's there that's the thing. There there aren't a whole lot of uh I've interviewed a few uh different at least podcasters from around. Yeah, there's not a ton of fly fishing podcasts out there yet.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, and uh, yeah, you've got like yeah, th- th- there's, you know, some instructional stuff and like I guess like itinerant angler, the Orvis one. Yeah, I really liked the um, the fly fishing film tour one, the whiskey and water, oh whiskey yeah, thing. All right. But they haven't done a lot of them, and then the Drake one's great. And the Drake, I like the yeah. drake one, Yep. So those are the ones that stick out to me. Yep, <laughs> for the most part.
1: Yeah, Exactly. No, it's cool. It's always uh, yeah, it's always interesting to hear. Uh, you know different things because there is a lot of, um, let's see, I think I was talking to, um, yeah, Steve, you know, Steve Duda, right? Yeah. 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 He's a great dude. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's definitely got some good stories too. Uh, Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So now where is, so so the art, I was just looking at your, your site. So you have, um, is that now you've got a bunch of different, uh, it looks like a bunch of your work on the front page. Is this like mostly kind of outdoors related or do you do other stuff?
0: Yeah, it's it's ninety percent fishing. I got some hunting stuff, like some hunting dog stuff. Oh, okay, but I mean, my background of painting is basically since the day I started painting fish a whole lot, which was in high school, was painting fish. I mean, that's that's what I love to do. Like I'm yeah. working right now on a on a thirty six by forty eight real life size painting of a guy holding a GT giant oh, Travolta yeah. that he caught in I think the Seychelles. I assume. Wow. But, yeah, so, I mean, that thing is huge, and I've been working on it forever, and I'm huh. getting close to it being done. And I just haven't been able to paint a whole lot in the last six months due to being busier with flood tide. So, oh, yeah, that's cool. So, yeah, I mean, I can't complain. That's a, a problem I created. Yep. But, you know, I really want to be in the city of painting more. Yeah. Thing, but so how it long, just can't happen.
1: And I'm not a uh, an art but I do have some art in the family but um like so how long does it typically take you to do some of these pieces and
0: you know this one I've only really been able to chip away at at night lately when kind of the flood tide day is over uh-huh. with. Um I I mean I would have to say at least I mean right now I'm probably at, at least 15 to 20 nights anywhere from oh. 3 to Three to five hours. I, I, sure. I honestly, I have no idea when people ask me that. Yep, um, I just never There's have a go. good answer. Right,
1: right. I mean, so, I really don't. And what type of paintings are you doing here? What, what's the?
0: This one's oil. Okay. Um, thirty six by forty eight, oil piece of of this fish, and it's very, it's realistic with also kind of having a painterly look to it. I don't really do ultra realistic stuff. Yeah, but it it definitely looks realistic, but. Hopefully there's a sense of there's a sense of kind of a painterly feel to it as well.
1: Nice. That's awesome. That's
0: at least my goal with mm-hmm. every painting.
1: Gotcha. So you're so a lot of these you'll you look at you'll have a picture and you'll you're using that as part of your basically yep. the inspiration or or basically painting that picture.
0: Yeah, and the funny thing about it when when I've done paintings for people in the past with their with their faces in the photo, I've asked them, are you sure you do you want your face in the in the painting? And they'll <laughs> They'll usually say yes, and I'll be like, ah. It's going to look weird. I would, yeah, I just, I would, I would advise not to. And they'd be like, why? They'd be like, well, everyone that I tell not to that ends up getting it always tells me two or three years later that they wish they wouldn't have. Yeah. And, uh, and so I told this guy that same thing, and he said, well, I don't want my face in it, but I want Walter from Big Lebowski's face (laughs) in it. There you go. So here we got this big GT. Painting and Walter from Big Lebowski is is holding the fish.
1: Nice. Oh, is that the so? It'll, be, it'll at now? be funny.
0: Yeah, yeah, it'll be funny. That's
1: sweet. So,
0: wow. that's the plan. Yeah.
1: Let's take a quick break for our sponsors. The original Tyrite is a long-standing accessory loved by fly fishermen for decades. The product has been around for more than fifty years. It's an accessory you won't live without after you try it. No more drop flies or hooked fingers. It's a great tool to help you tie your fly by essentially giving you another hand. It's simple to operate. Just push in the plunger and insert the bend of your fly or hook into the retractable hook of the tie right. Then use the tie right to steady your hook and spin it like you're spinning spaghetti on a fork. Easily finish off your knot and you're ready to fish. All parts are manufactured and assembled in the USA, guaranteed for life against uh, manufacturing defects and free uh, with a free replacement. So you might be thinking, "Hey, do I need another tool in my vest? Um, you know, is this one that you should find uh, a pocket for?" I think it is because I know I'm not getting any younger, and I need to take advantage of every opportunity I can. You know, as I as I get here and you know realize myself see myself with glasses now for tie flies it's just a tool and um you know you can make that comparison to say you know hackle pliers where you could tie flies without hackle pliers but it's a nice tool that helps you tie better flies same thing with a tie right it's just going to make things a lot easier for you when you're out there in the stream you're going to avoid you know dropping your flies hooking your fingers um so i want you to definitely check it out I'm excited to have Tyrite on as a sponsor and uh, appreciate uh, supporting a small company um, in the USA. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of movement uh, around the world and, and, you know, companies from all over the place, but it's cool to have, have them on board. So head over to Tyrite.com and uh, make Handling Flies your uh, a snap. That's T Y R I T E.com. Do you struggle at times to know which fly to put on the end of your tippet? I know there are plenty of times when I'm sitting there in the stream and spend a lot of time going through my boxes, not quite sure what to use. Um, What if you had an entomologist next to you or a biologist telling you exactly what was in your stream and the best fly to put on? It would be like having a guide next to you, right? Well, that's exactly what uh, ascent fly fishing does for you. Maybe you're heading to a new stream and you need to cut the guesswork out of it. The guys at Ascent Fly Fishing have you covered with their biologically sampled custom fly box patterns for your next trip. At AscentFlyFishing.com, you can not only take a look at these custom packages, but scan their site for a bunch of other resources to help you get better prepared for your next trip. Want to know how to organize your fly box? Do you want to take an entomology class or need a new fly fishing setup? They have you covered on all counts. This is a great resource, whether you are a newbie or been on the water for years. With all the noise out there, it's really tough sometimes to know exactly where to find the right tools for the job. And I know that, um, you know, flies and having the right pattern, what's more important than that? Uh, Entomology is definitely a big, uh, you know, topic that you can spend a lot of time on for many years and still not have it covered. So this is a way to cut to the chase Learn a lot in a short amount of time and catch some fish along the way. As we noted, um, you know, with the tie ride example, having the right tool can save you a lot of wasted time on the water. And this is another tool that I think uh, you are going to love. So head over to AscentFlyFishing.com and grab your custom fly selection today. That's A-S-C-E-N-T FlyFishing.com. Nice. So you got, so yeah, you got the, the, the art piece going, the fly fishing. I mean, when you think back, uh, you know, kind of your life, is there a, a story that sticks out that helped to uh, get you, you know, where you are with the, it sounds like, so basically between the art and flood tide, that's how you make your living currently.
0: Yeah. yeah not so much as much. Uh, I don't know that I'm starting to ramble, but the flood tide thing right now still is a little bit, but definitely mainly my artwork. Uh huh. I'm nice. still putting the money back into the business that I would make with Floodtide yeah. um just because it's growing and and we've got a few employees now and it's it's growing well, but my main my main life and income is definitely from my artwork and mm-hmm. illustrations that I do for magazines and hmm. and uh any other projects I can
1: kind of sweep up along the way that's cool and what what uh what magazines
0: uh, i've done I've done uh, some illustration for Duda for Fly fish Journal. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I do some stuff for the industry, uh, angling trade magazine, um, that I just did, did one for AFTA and, uh, done some stuff for the Drake hmm. and I'd love to do more. I love, I love that style. It's a real loose yeah. kind of ink, ink, ink line drawing. And then you do a little watercolor in there and it's, mm-hmm. just, it's a fun, loose feel to it.
1: That's cool. That's cool. and is Yeah. There- and is there a, like thinking back on your life, like kind of a story that helped you to get to this place where you're doing this, this type of artwork and where you're out here with it?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that there were a lot of years that my parents helped support me. Even when I was goofing around in Wyoming and in Atlanta where every now and then if I need a little help, they were open to that. Just cause being a starting artist, man, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to connect the dots sometimes. And mm-hmm. I was working and working in fly shops the whole way too. And that, it was a huge help for me. Like, I've got a lot of young artists that ask me for advice, and I'm like, well, do you want to be, like, a fly fishing industry artist? They're like, yes. I'm like, well, work in fly shops. That's yep. the best thing you can do. I mean, you're not going to support yourself being an artist. It takes 20 years to do that, and I'm in, I'm about right there. No kidding. And, yeah, it's just, you know, I worked in retail ever since I was, and when I say retail, like fly shop retail, since I was 18 or 19 until about three years ago. And finally one day I couldn't do it anymore. I had to concentrate on flood tide in my painting and, and I'm so glad I finally, and my wife's the one that finally just said, you got to just one day you just got to stop. You can't keep relying on it. So (laughs) I did it. So that's definitely, it was a huge help. And I would Mm -hmm. say my other, another story of what helped me was just in high school, every project that it was a fish art project. And my art teacher let me keep doing that. Most art teachers would kind of make you do something different, but you know she saw that I was interested in it, and she would always support me and mm-hmm.
1: let me do those kind of things mm-hmm. that's cool, and what uh mm-hmm. so over that twenty years i mean what when it was kind of got tough at times what what kept you going with the the art and everything
0: uh man, just just knowing that you'd always like right when you get in that bind where you're trying to pay the next bill, you would somehow sell a painting on your- my website or I'd oh, sell yeah. a couple of prints, something would always just kind of click where you'd get kind of lucky you'd finally just something would happen and it still does. I mean, you know, I'll start to kind of doubt and kind of worry about things and all of a sudden I'll get a commission for a painting or two. And it just, everything seems to kind of line up. It's almost, there's definitely a higher being walk, looking out for these artists these days.
1: That's so, yeah, I know I've heard that, that story. It's like, it's gotta be tough. I mean, I've, you hear some of those where people are kind of going with it. It's, you know, I guess it's, it's your passion and, you're kind of sticking with it, right? I mean, you're—it's not all about yeah. the money—and and then eventually, wow! Now you turn around and it's actually you're, you're making your, your bulk of your income from it. So you, you've kind of made it there, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, this—I mean, I'm busy all the time now. I mean, it's—and I love going to work. I wake up in the morning. I don't have an alarm. I wake up naturally around six forty-five or seven, and I do my thing. And I—I I, I go to the office, and I can't wait. I mean, office slash studio—it's kind of our yeah. flood office that has my studio. Oh, yeah. I mean, next thing you know, it's 530 and yeah, it's just, the, yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah.
1: That's, yeah. So I was, I was thinking we were talking about this on a previous episode. I think I said it wrong. There was a story I always think about. It's, um, the author, Stephen Pressfield. He, um, he wrote, um, The Legend of Bagger Vance, which is, okay. kind of, yeah, which is like a golf or whatever, but it, you know, it was like a big book that made it, you know, hit. It was a big hit, but, um, you know, it took him like, I think about the same, like 20 or 25 years to get to that. And in between yep. that, in between that time, I mean, he found himself like living in his car, you know, and like because he he loved writing so much, and he was denied; he never was able to get published. And then Man. finally, you know, twenty twenty five years later, he got his first book published or whatever, and it was a big hit. And now that's cool, you know. What I mean, and he kind of hung, yeah. hung with it, and then he wrote this other book called the uh, The War of Art. And basically, <laughs> the whole you know what I mean. So the whole premise is basically saying that. You know what? You've got to wake up and be like a marine, you know, or whatever the analogies are. You got to battle, you know, every day. You got to just like if you want it, you know, you got to dig in. And I think about this sometimes because you know it's it's not always easy, and it's and but if you want to get something done, I mean, sometimes you got to just go for it, right?
0: Yeah, it's just you've always heard all the different people through the history of time say, you know, if you love what you do, you got to keep doing it, and sooner or later it'll pay off if you put everything into it. And you know every year has gotten better. So, and I I definitely not complained at all. I mean I'm happy with everything I've gotten and gotten to. And I live in Charleston, South Carolina. I can go red fishing anytime I want. <laughs> I can paint a painting, and and you know it's one of those things too that every time I've sold a painting, whoever's bought it is basically invested in my future. I mean every painting you sell is. That person's not just getting a painting, but they're investing in that artist's career because right. they that gives them the availability to have a little time to paint another painting. So, you know, as long as you just keep getting rid of them, it uh, definitely helps
1: keep you going for sure. Yeah, that's cool. So, uh, yeah, bringing it bringing it back to the podcast again, I, I just keep thinking about some of the things that are popping in my head uh, and some of the music. You know, you guys have you always have a little little track, like a light sound of some. Yeah, I don't know if it's always like Southern rock, but it's some, some yeah. stuff. <laughs> what's, um, well, you know, I've never spent, you know, really any time down there. What, what's the, you know, the Southern culture, what do you think it is down there that's, that's so unique and is so special about that whole, you know, that area? Yeah, I
0: don't, it's, it's funny because I just went to Pennsylvania this weekend where my wife's from mm-hmm. and you know, their family gets together and hangs out and parties and does the same kind of stuff down here. I I don't know that it's that different. Yeah. I just think, I just think that, uh, I think the Southern culture just kind of has that ring to it and people kind of open their ears a little bit whenever, but I don't, I don't think it's that different, honestly. Hmm. But, uh, you know, I think maybe just the whole idea of Southern food and fried food. And I think it all comes around and, and kind of centrally focuses on when people get together, they're usually eating and drinking. And I think Southerners do that a lot. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think it just, it's that whole culture of family and and getting together and having a good time and raising a glass and breaking some bread and, you know, dipping it in barbecue sauce together
1: and getting messy with it nice yeah i noticed yeah uh, definitely a lot of the photos as i was kind of looking through some of your stuff there's a a lot of people are holding beers and a lot of the pictures and that's that's i mean i'm the same i mean i I think we'd probably be the same exact thing here it's uh yeah beer is one of those kind of staples that you you kind of can't go on a trip without it right
0: yeah and we kind of carry that on into the flood tide stuff you know our slogan is good clean living and there's nothing like getting on a boat with some buddies and in the downtime is about just as much fun as the good fishing. Cause in the downtime you're cracking beers and telling stories mm-hmm. and that's kind of the whole spirit of the, of the actual podcast. I mean, and it, and it kind of carries on to what Mike and I are doing now, whenever we can't get everyone together, Mike and I are trying to do a, a different podcast called right brain retrieve yeah. where we're, we're kind of focusing on the creative side of fly fishing. Mike's a writer. So uh-huh. it kind of works great. I'm an artist. He's a writer. Oh, and then we nice. call, yeah, we're, we're, we're calling anyone else that's a writer, or photographer, or, or artist, or musician that's maybe maybe in the fly fishing world, and that's kind of what we're doing now, just because we can't get the whole band back together every now and then. So we're every now and then we're doing one of those podcasts, which is actually kind of fun because it's a little bit more serious.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'll so check that out. I, I had yeah. um, Jason Rolfe on uh, for, on episode thirty-three. He's uh, with the Fly Tapes podcast, and he also has oh, okay. the Writers on the Fly. Yep. Which um, you know, I always kind of sometimes joke that you know the writing thing. I'm kind of a not a great writer, so <laughs> it's always I love hearing uh, you know and talking to people that are so into it, and that's that's his passion.
0: Well, then we'll have to have you on the on the Right Brain Retreat podcast. Tom. Oh, is that what you're looking for? People that aren't aren't good at
1: writing is that part of the deal?
0: No, no, just <laughs> hey, if you. Call yourself any sort of rider and you fly fish, that's what we're looking for. I mean oh, there we should, you go. Yeah, we've got a good friend of ours, uh, I'm sure you've heard of him, River Horse. Yep, Nakadante. Yeah. And uh I've become friends with him in the last couple of years and he kinda sits in on that podcast oh, with cool. us every now and then. Yeah, yeah. So it's cool to have him on.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've been one, I've been wanting to give him a call too.
0: Oh, he would he would be a great guest. He's uh very entertaining.
1: Yeah, he's got some good stories. And is he from down in your area or
0: He's originally from Houston. Yeah.
1: Oh, from Houston. Yeah, okay.
0: Cool. Yeah, and I'm from Dallas originally, so definitely that's kind of in my area, considering where I'm originally from, for sure.
1: Yeah, nice. So, but yeah. What—as um, far as um, just thinking of kind of generally like, re- you know, fly fishing books and magazines and things, resources out there, do you have anything that you—other than podcasts and things that you read or listen to or—
0: yeah, I'd say definitely the Drake and Fly Fish Journal. Yeah. Um, n- not knocking anything, but like fly rod and reel and fly Fisherman, just you know, they're they're definitely kind of more of an educational yeah. um uh, pieces, I'd say, and they're great for that. And uh, I just don't really get much out of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and I like Gray's Sporting Journal as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a huge reader. I mean, I flip through, and when it's something grabs my attention. I'll usually read that, but you know, I know guys that'll read those magazines from cover to cover, no matter what the story is. Um, (laughs) I'm just not quite built like that. I usually lose my patience and Mm -hmm. flip the page, but, uh, yeah, you know, and as far as books go, um, I typically read stuff that's historical and, um, maybe not even fly fishing stuff. Uh, like right now I'm reading Leonardo, uh da vinci hmm. about his whole life and biography it's like 700 pages i'll be amazed if i ever finish it yeah. but i'm excited about that i'm totally
1: into that kind of stuff yeah so so you do a lot of the uh do you do much of like the audio audiobook sort of stuff or no i don't yeah. um
0: and i would for anything else but i kind of wanted to actually put my hands on this book and actually kind of be able to get into it because there's a lot of illustrations and pictures in it too, that kind of help me get from page to page Mm -hmm. just because it kind of entertains me and breaks up the monotony of reading. (laughs) But, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, it's amazing how his drawing and techniques and ideas have like stood the test of, you know, basically 500 years.
1: And it's just, it's just really cool to read about his stuff. What, I mean, have you learned anything from reading his stuff or just looking at his stuff or his work?
0: Yeah. Just drawing skills. I mean, just, the way he drew um, all the little, you know, inventions that he, you know, inventions for airplanes and and wings and all this stuff that was so far ahead of his time. And even ideas and theories on gravity and stuff that 300 years before scientists even started messing around with and even in the 1800s. So it's just neat, neat to read all that stuff. And that just, is. I mean, his paintings were just incredible.
1: Hmm. So, so I wonder, yeah, I guess it was a different time when he was, um, I'm not even sure of his, his history there, but looking at yours, I mean, you know, you said you've definitely sold some, uh, a number of paintings. What, do you remember what that first one felt like when you sold it? Yeah. Um,
0: I've still got a picture of it. It was of a Colorado greenback cutthroat and it was actually pretty big for its size. Uh, I want to say it was like 12 to 14 inches and uh i've got a picture of it i mean i'm not gonna say the painting was terrible it wasn't terrible it was just very rudimentary compared to what i would do now mm-hmm. but it's still pretty cool i remember i was working at the west bank anglers in dallas and it was a customer and he heard that i like to paint and draw and he asked me if i would paint a, a representation of his fish or i might have even sold it on him like you know let me paint this fish for you and, mm-hmm. and he let me and yeah, I think I, I probably got like 150 bucks for it or something, you know. But I was also 18 or 19 years old. So hmm. getting 150 bucks for a painting you did is probably pretty yeah. good for back then. Yeah. And then I just kept advertising that I would recreate anyone's fish, the actual size and, you know, color, if they would give me the photo. And so I've been doing that forever. Yeah. So that's kind of been the foundation of my business and my painting uh, career. Uh huh. That's so cool. it started with yeah, started with paintings dot com.
1: Huh? Yeah. So I, I think
0: I've had that website since like two thousand or something. Oh really? Right.
1: So is that, so how do you find your your customers? Are they kind of just find you or? Yeah, I guess they just. Uh, yeah, pretty much. I don't really do any advertising.
0: Um, probably just you know, social media has probably made a lot of painting car- painter careers mm-hmm. happen in the last fifteen years. You know instagram is yeah yeah huge i mean i don't know what i would have done without it
1: (laughs) okay yeah yeah that's been going strong for what like five years or something
0: yeah instagram for sure facebook for probably what 12 years 10 or 12 years i mean facebook was used as well so so before that you
1: were in the fly shops
0: yeah yeah totally just word of mouth and my friend heard about you and my friend's dad got right. a painting from you. So that's cool. Yeah. Word of mouth is huge. Yeah, exactly.
1: So I was thinking, uh, again, kind of back to the podcast, you guys do have guests on it. Cause I heard, uh, I think you had uh Tom Bai on and occasionally, yep. occasionally you do a guest or do you try to get somebody on each show?
0: We try to get someone on each show. Um, there's been a couple where you probably haven't, or you've screwed up the phone or, you know, hadn't worked or, But we Mm -hmm. definitely, every show, you know, we want that to be the one serious part of the show, which Mm -hmm. is 15 to 20 minutes of actually, hey, let's talk fly fishing. Because the other part, the other hour and 45 minutes, we might not even talk about fly
1: fishing. (laughs) Nice.
0: You know? So, you know, that's kind of the the part of the show that kind of binds it together, or we can actually say it's a fly fishing podcast. Right. Yeah. So, Um. yeah, we've had Tom on, like you said, Steve Duda, River Horse, oh, yeah. um, man, we've had Derek DeYoung,
1: George Martinez, uh, a bunch of different people. Huh? Does anything ring a bell that uh, those guests or any one of them sticks out, or that, that taught you something? I mean, do you guys talk uh, fly fishing and kind of get into some of that stuff, or is it more about life stuff?
0: Yeah. No, I mean it's it's. Like uh, when George kind of threw down the hammer about a year ago about just what's going on down in Florida as far as the water um, quality and, oh. and what's what's happening with all the algae and all that kind of stuff. It's good to have those kind of guys that are actually there living that to kind of shed light to everyone else that's not living there because it's easy to
1: forget about it when you're not having to deal with it. Right. So what, what's the uh, what's like the less than a minute summary of what's going on down there currently? Yeah, just this
0: water drainage where they're you know they they fertilize these bodies of water pretty heavily, like o- Lake Okeechobee, and the temperature change from that water flowing down, they just open the gates and this water all drains down to the Everglades, mm. and the temperature change and the fertilization creates this just fluorescent green algae sludge mm. that's basically killing grass in the Everglades and killing anything that lives in its way, basically, and right. it's starting to affect. The water quality, which will in turn affect, you know, the redfish, the tarpon, the bass, pretty much anything that swims in its water and get rid of it, it depletes the oxygen. Right. Wow. So it's a huge mess. And that's that org, I think is the website. Okay. So there's a lot to learn from it. for Sure.
1: sure. Okay. So, and yeah, it's basically kind of a, a battle in the corporation sort of thing that yep. there's yeah like like any of the different regions around the world or you know there's a, absolutely there's a, nothing's getting easier, that's for sure, as more people are seems like, you know, coming in everywhere. Yep. Absolutely. Cool. So, so did you guys get into much of that on with your uh company? Uh kind of that the conservation stuff. And I mean I was just listening to um well, I guess I was listening to another podcast that I think Orvis was talking about some stuff they were heading that not on the conservation end, but more of the, um, you know, kind of women in fly fishing. Yeah. But, um, you know, there was just some stuff that got out on social media and they, you know, took a hit or whatever, but it sounds like it's a great thing they're doing. Um, do you guys, is that something you're interested in that like getting into those sorts of topics?
0: No, I mean, the main thing we've been doing is, um, definitely trying to get a more sustainable part to our business. And we've become friends with the guy here in Charleston, that's doing just that. Uh, Rick Crawford. He's got a business called Emerger Strategies, where he's trying to get businesses in the fly fishing industry for their businesses to become just more sustainable and little things you can do as far as you know minimizing your impact. And yeah. we've been doing the best we can to do that. And we became partners with One Percent for the Planet, and then also anything that we do. That one percent goes to a local business or a lo- local nonprofit here in Charleston mm. called Charleston Waterkeeper. Nice. And so, yeah, to answer your question, we've definitely been trying mm-hmm. to do the environmental side of stuff, not so much the the gender deal. Yeah. Um, not because we don't want to, just because uh, we we don't really big, play a big part in that. And I mean, yeah. we don't really have a women's line yet, and no. it's just you know, so it's something we want to do. It's just a matter of. You know, getting to the point where we can do it.
1: Yeah, totally. No, and that's, that was the conversation they had is that, yeah, I mean, Orvis, Orvis is getting into it, but I mean, it took a like literally like, you know, 20 years or something, you know, they've been talking yep. about it. So, and they're probably one of the bigger companies out there.
0: Yeah. yeah and, you know, the whole, you know, I, you know, I, I definitely dig what they're doing. I just, I, I guess I, I don't really know how to even vocalize the way I feel about it because I think, Women fly fishing is awesome. I just, yeah. I don't know that it has to be so discussed and talked about as much as it does. Because if you're a a woman female angler and you're a good fly fisherman, like I don't distinguish that person as no. Oh, but she's a great fisherman, but she's a woman. I just say she's a badass fisherman. Exactly. Like, and I, I don't know. And there's so many. Women, you know, trying to distinguish themselves as I'm a woman that does this or I'm a woman that does that. And I just want to say, like, yeah, I I, I don't know. It's just it's
1: kind of a strange deal to me. I hear you. No, and I actually uh, had uh, April Vokey on on the podcast uh, a while back and uh, and she kind of surprised me because she was kind of on the same lines as you. You know, uh, kind of we talked a little bit about the whole sexism and things and, you know, and all that stuff. But basically yeah. her take was the same. You know, it was like she was kind of like questioning that whole 50-50 movement as well, like because she had a little bit different take. But the funny thing was is she just interviewed um, those, you know, a couple of the gals from Orvis and they talked about it. Yeah. I can't remember the episode, but it was on uh, on Anchored. And um, basically it was clear that it came out that Orvis, I think, you know, I think they're, they're heads in the right space. I think totally, it's, it yeah. just kind of came out a little bit weird on social, but um, I think the general, at least the numbers they threw out are like, you know, whatever it is, 30% of fishermen or of, of the fisher fly fishers are women, or it might even be less, but yeah, that they just want to, you know, they think it should be more of a 50 50, but yeah, it's not like an on, onslaught against men. But, you know, I, you know, for me, I think the bottom line is just, I think talking about it. Is probably going to help because this your story I think is right on because you don't think about it because you you don't have that issue but they brought up the yeah. story that, that the women went into the um, this woman went into a fly shop a local fly shop and they're like hey can we go you know get help uh, we're gonna go fish in this river whatever and the and then uh, as the guy the salesman was talking to her a couple of uh, guys came in and basically he put his hand in her face and said wait and went over and and helped the guys out. You know what I mean? Like, it's totally well, extreme, and like, who yeah, knows? Yeah. You know what I mean? But that's the sort of stuff where it's like, okay, like that really still goes on, and like, yeah. whether that's because it's a, a sexist thing or maybe he just thought he was going to make money off of the guy—I don't know. It, but that's the sort of weird stuff, right?
0: Yeah, and yeah, I don't doubt that, that happened, but it's the kind of the same thing where, you know, working in, in the fly shop retail—yeah, you've been there for so yeah, long, yeah, totally. Well, I'm sure that I offended someone, which yeah. when I didn't even realize I was offending someone. You know what I mean? Exactly. When, when you get distracted by something and someone comes in, you're helping someone, and you didn't realize they really needed that much. I, I don't know. I'm sure. It's, I'm sure I've done it where someone could have told that same story totally. and I would have never realized.
1: Yeah, it. that's a great point. Yeah,
0: you know, but who knows? I mean, but hey, I I'm down with any lady that wants to fish. I think it's great. I mean, yeah. no matter how any of these businesses. Advertise that they can do whatever they want to, um, you know. But it, it's come on, you know, let yep.
1: anyone that wants to fish fish. <laughs> no, to a good thing. I totally forgot. The, yeah, they we were Chad. You've you were at the shops for a long time, so you've 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 been involved and seen all sorts of uh, people from probably all around the yeah. world, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. And teaching when you teach fly fishing, I get relieved when it's a when it was a woman because they would actually listen to you and they're a lot easier to teach than men as far as casting. Yeah. I mean by
1: far. That is totally true. Yeah, I agree. I we uh had a fly shop growing up too and yeah, they're definitely the better fly tires and everything else. Because yeah, they listen to you. <laughs> they listen. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Cool, cool. Well, uh Paul, we're we're kinda getting close to uh gonna wrap this thing up, but I had a few more if you've uh got yeah, a second. Man. Maybe we'll do a little quick little rapid fire round here. I was thinking about um you know, just as far as gear, it could be fly fishing or stuff use at work. Is there a piece of gear that you kind of, you can't live without?
0: You know, it's funny. Someone asked me the other day, you know, what my five weight was. I think it was like on a blog or something. And I, I said, man, I, I've still got my 590-4 RPL from mm-hmm. 1995 probably. Cool. And I don't know that I'll ever need another five weight. Yep. I mean, that's, that's my standard. That's I don't use as much anymore, but that's my five weight.
1: Nice. nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the way it should be. It seems like, like gear should pretty much last. Like what, what is, how much, how many years should you get out of a piece of gear?
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's 23, Like Yeah. 23 years I've had that rod. Nice. Cool. I've broken it once, <laughs> but so.
1: Yeah. What about, uh, is there one person that sticks out as a, uh, mentor? of yours over all the years?
0: Um, I'd say, I'd have to say two. Well, Mark Cicino is one of my favorite artists that I've had ever since I was probably 17. Um, Mm -hmm. amazing underwater fish artist. And he would, I I started emailing him probably in 2004, just asking him stupid little questions Mm -hmm. like, how do you do this? What do you do here? And every time he would email me back, like, a full page. And it just blew my mind that my hero is sitting here emailing me back. And since then we've kind of become buddies and he lives right by where my wife's family does in Pennsylvania on the Susquehanna river. So we've met each other a few times, done a show together. And two years ago I I put him on a boat and had him catch a redfish on the boat. So I would definitely say Mark Cicino and then Eldridge Hardy, another one of my art heroes that I've become friends with him in the last few years, which has been a true honor.
1: Nice nice what um do you have a place or uh, other than redfish do you have any other like a bucket list species or place you you want to hit up that, if you could go to soon um you know
0: everyone's doing it these days but i mean iceland man i'd love to go to iceland mm-hmm. and do some brown trout fishing yeah. i mean that's that sounds like and it looks just so cool so that's uh, yeah. definitely on the list okay perfect
1: What about, um, just getting back to the flood tide, do you guys have like, where do you see this going over the years? You kind of have a goal in mind of, I mean, you guys are selling hats and t-shirts and stuff like that, but do you feel like this thing's going to be growing into other areas?
0: Yeah, we definitely want to grow and diversify a little bit and, you know, eventually have some more, um, you know, lifestyle type button down clothing. Uh, we're going to have some shorts next year. Uh, we've had shorts before we just being a growing company, it's kind of hard to do everything at once over and over, but just diversify the stuff, be more of a clothing company compared Mm -hmm. to being just a hat and t-shirt company for sure. Yeah.
1: And, and most of the stuff that you're putting on, I mean, that's your artwork. Is that where most of the stuff you're, you're designing and yourself?
0: Yeah, we get a lot of feedback from all the guys that work with, work with us and will. and We've got a lot of creative minds involved. I'm the one that actually ends up putting the pen to paper. And if you get translated to computer or whatever, but everything's hand-drawn uh-huh. and typically hand-colored and then somewhat manipulated in the computer at the end of the day. But, yep. yeah, it's, it's real art. It's the real thing, and that's what we take the most pride in for sure.
1: Cool. And you've got, like, I was just looking at some of your hats there. You know, everybody loves the trucker hats. You know, I was kind of thinking like, you know, suppliers and stuff like that. How do you guys go through that whole thing? I, I've i been thinking a little bit about that myself, kind of getting, finding somebody who could do some hats. Is there pretty yeah. much like, pretty much there's tons of good suppliers to get that stuff these days? Or do you think, it, you know, finding the good ones is tough?
0: Yeah, there's a lot. If you want like a quick, just kind of, you know, 12 to 24, or 36 hats, you know, you start with a company like Otto or even Richardson. And then if you want to start making 288 of one style or, you know, 500 of one style, that's where you start kind of doing the more overseas thing or stay in the country, whatever. Gotcha. Uh, But we do a little bit of both. Yep. So it just kind of depends if you ever want more information on that, just let me know. But yeah, um, it's definitely it takes three or four years to learn and make mistakes and learn about what to do and not to do. I mean, we still learn something every day. Yeah, but it's it's definitely not easy.
1: No, have you guys had a a big order that came in that was like a, um, a kind of defective order sort of thing you had to deal with?
0: Yeah, this this past year we had some shirts that had the totally wrong piece of artwork on them, mm-hmm. and that piece of artwork was even wrong. So they, you know, they basically made everything no cost. So we gave those shirts to charity and just nice. give them away for auctions and stuff like that. So yep. Yep. it nothing, no major catastrophes have happened mm-hmm. yet, Nice. but it's one of those it, things. I got a buddy yeah. that, that works for, for Nike. And he made a mistake on one little color on some, some football jerseys. And they had to basically just wash the whole thing. Oh. He said he, he's somewhat amazing. size so as his job, but no kidding.
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've heard I've heard some of those stories for Yeah, it's definitely that's so, part of the game. Yeah, if it hasn't happened, it's probably going to happen eventually. I think. Yeah, the important thing is is how do you deal with it when it happens, and you know, yeah, obviously exactly. treat your customers good, and you'll you'll be good. Totally, absolutely. Nice, man. Well, I think I think we're about about there. Do you have any uh anything I missed? You want to throw out there as far as you know your the companies and stuff you have going on.
0: No, man. Check out flood tide.com. Um,
1: and yeah,
0: just if you want to check out the latest podcast, we're doing that right. Brain retrieve.com. Oh, yeah. Um, but we're definitely still barely live is still alive. We're just kind of barely.
1: Is it barely? Alive? Yeah.
0: Barely live. Yeah. That doesn't have a website or anything. It's just yeah. on, um, just look under podcasts on okay. like iTunes
1: and so It's not, but it's not you. You guys aren't going to stop doing it anytime soon.
0: No, that's yeah. there's no plan to stop. It's just a matter of just getting everyone. It's like it's like being married to three three dudes. I mean, it's <laughs> just amazing how hard it is to get everyone on the same page.
1: Right. Yeah. Totally. But so yeah. I'll, yeah. Okay. I'll uh, yeah at uh, wetflyswingcom slash forty two. I'll have uh, show notes with the links you talked about here. Okay. So cool. You. And uh, yeah. So what in the next six months? Anything else you have going? We can expect from from the stuff you have going on.
0: Um, let's see. Hopefully I got I've got an art show in South Georgia in November. Um, and I'm playing at a BTT event, playing music at a BTT event in Bozeman at the end of August. So if you're in Bozeman on August 23rd, I think it is, uh, with yellow dog travel and bonefish tarpon trust in Bozeman. So cool. Come on by if you happen to be in Bozeman.
1: Yeah, that sounds like fun. Yeah. Nice. So, uh, so yeah, if people want to find you, they, they can just go to is com. the best place?
0: That's it. Yeah.
1: Okay. Perfect. Well, uh, yeah, I just want to, want to thank you for coming on and chatting a little bit here. definitely shed some light on, you know, redfish and just kind of getting a perspective from, you know, hearing the, the story behind, uh, you know, kind of the podcast. It's, it's good to hear, you know, what you guys have going. So hope to, uh, hear more from you guys. And I'll, I'll definitely look up your new, your, uh, new podcast for sure.
0: Awesome, Dave. Well, I appreciate the time, bud. Thanks right. for having me
1: on. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. See you. Bye. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com slash Paul. And uh, please head over to iTunes and click the subscribe button if you get a chance. This is the fastest way I know of uh, that you could help the show reach new people. Thanks again for stopping by to check out the show today. I'm looking forward to catching up with you soon and hope to see you online or on the river.